What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuge. I'm your host. And today's guest is Dr. Ryan Chow, the owner of Reload PT, which is a physical therapy clinic in Manhattan who is doing exactly what I've been telling you physical therapy clinics need to do if they're going to move into the next generation successfully with better outcomes for patients, better money for therapists, and better money for trainers. They are doing the job. Uh, on today's episode, Ryan and I talk about everything from the fact that more money is spent on the healthcare for musculoskeletal conditions every year than is spent on heart disease. Let that sink in. Um, and what we think needs to be done about it. We talk about my belief that the um, the active life professional, the education we're providing, the active life professional will have the education and the experience necessary to expand the scope of the coach so that their impact can fundamentally reshape healthcare. I brought that up to him. I wonder what he thought because it would mean loss of some market share for physical therapists for a population that frankly don't think they need to be seen uh, so that their services could be more valuable for the populations that they do need to see. We talked about a wide array of things uh, in a pretty deep hole. So I think you're going to enjoy it and I look forward to hearing your feedback. Turn pro. We're going to get to the show in a minute. What I want to talk about first is the new Active Life Enhanced Assessment. We've been getting a lot of questions from you about what do I do when it bothers my knee when I squat, but not when I do anything else. And you're not necessarily ready to work with us as a one-on-one client, and we totally understand that. We've gotten hundreds of questions just like the one I just said. My knee hurts when I do this. What should I do about it? And The honest answer is always, it depends, and we need to ask many more questions to give you the best answer. We decided that the best way for us to help you with the thorough answer to those questions is to develop a product, a service that can help you. So we came up with the Active Life Enhanced Assessment. This is a four-day process in which you go through the similar assessment to what our one-on-one clients go through. You get to talk to one of our staff members about what it is that they found on your assessment, and they will give you instruction on how to overcome the aches and pains that have been plaguing you for a long time without going to the doctor or missing the gym, if it's appropriate for you to do that. So if you're interested in jumping into our Active Life Enhanced Assessment, go ahead, check out the link in the story notes, the show notes, excuse me, and we'll see you there. Dr. Ryan Chow, welcome to the Active Life Podcast. What's up, Sean? I'm, uh, it's honored to, to be here, and uh, I'm excited to chat with you and just go off the cuff with you a little bit. Yeah. You know, um, once I started to see your content at Reload PT, it, it, it was, for me, it was one of those things where I'm like, that's, a, that's, that's the kind of doc I want association with. I know that you know what I'm describing when you talk about just being able to see uh, a window into somebody's activity, what they're actually doing with their patients and their clients day in and day out and recognizing the intent to deliver transformative experiences for the people they're working with that are not just in the box. This is what you do. Stay in your lane. No deviation. Yeah, I, I think I should say the same thing about like for years I've been looking at, you know, the active life Instagram. It's like things about how you try to reposition that, the concept of a, a a gym a trainer as a healthcare professional, first line of defense, um, you know, just making that a widespread concept resonates with myself, but also all the team, the, you know, even team members I hadn't met when I started looking at your content. 
it all it resonates with all of us a lot. So I'm on the same page with you. I think I love what you're doing, and that's why I'm excited to talk with you here today. Well, I appreciate that. I'm going to dive right into it then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are operating the kind of physical therapy clinic that I believe every physical therapy clinic in the world needs to operate. And what I mean by that is you have physical therapists who take care of patients, and then you have trainers who take care of clients, who are often the graduates of physical therapy. And when I go to physical therapy clinics and I try to talk to them about you need to hire somebody who we've educated because they can actually bridge the gap that, that you're going to struggle to have bridged by either a PTA or by a personal trainer off the street. A lot of physical therapy clinics right now are still a little bit resistant to the idea of why wouldn't I just do that? Why did you decide I'm not going to do personal training despite the fact that you not only have the education and the experience to do it, but you have the space, you have the materials and you have the clientele. Wow. That's uh, where do I start with that one? So, <laughs> at the beginning, so, start at the beginning. <laughs> so, I mean, I started, so I, I was a, a personal trainer for five years before I became a PT. And then while I was in PT school, I was a personal trainer for another three to four years. So I understood that side of it. I, I, I knew how many clients were coming to me as a trainer uh, looking for PT services. So I knew that those, that skill set was very important for helping people. And I knew that, and after I graduated, I became a PT and I did things the traditional PT model way. I saw that wasn't working. So I saw the value of a trainer and I saw what the PT was supposed to be doing, but we weren't getting that done either. And I think a lot of that is just a function of um, what the history of, you know, where people are coming from, you know, like uh, traditionally you have some pain or you have surgery, you go to PT and then it's, we're supposed to solve those issues. But the world has shifted and almost everything is a chronic pain problem or the majority of it. Um, and our skill set as PTs are, are not really good to deal with chronic pain and they're not good. Uh, we're paid only to do, get people out of like um, just little stuff. Like can you lift something, can you walk that, that kind of thing. Well, can, can, I, can, huge... I, can I interrupt you and stop there? Cause I want you to yeah, keep yeah, going, yeah, but, but yeah. I want to make sure that I, I rebut you in the way that I believe a physical therapist would rebut you. What do you mean yeah. we're not good at getting people out of chronic pain? We're great at getting people out of chronic pain. Why, why do you say um, physical therapists are not great at getting people out of chronic pain and a personal trainer potentially would be better for it? Yeah, yeah, because we have $675 billion of healthcare spend uh, and uh, disability and time lost in, because of chronic pain, which is more than uh, heart disease and cancer combined. Heart disease and cancer are two number one killers uh, in the U.S., so if you're looking at the scoreboard, no, we're not doing well. I don't care what you see in your day-to-day. -day. <laughs> you know, it's, it's being ignorant to say we're good at this, but, you know, this epidemic has only gotten worse. It's not gotten any better. We can't put a dent in this. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's to, to answer the first part is, yeah, we're not – we're trained from a pathology model to look and find a problem and try to find a solution for that pathology but we know chronic pain over the years, we figured out that is a very complex multifactorial thing. So if you have a transactional relationship with your clients where they come in and you give them a treatment for a supposed medical diagnosis um, and then try to come up with a good outcome that way, we know the scoreboard says that's not working. So I, rever I had to reverse engineer from my personal experiences and, and what the scoreboard is saying with the, the epidemiologic studies, the population studies are saying is we're not doing well there. And I, I saw what was working and um, trainers, even though it's not a very regulated um, or a high variability of the quality of trainers you can get, um, 
people who go to trainers um, know they have to change their behavior, know they have to train, know they have to do a lot of, of um, make uh, behavioral changes, and they have to they know they have to work hard. And I think those are the exact things that are missing in today's society. Uh, you know, for, for a variety of reasons. I want to I'll, I'll share with you all the evidence that I think um, shows that. But um, yeah, I think I think it's just the it's a education and and um, exercise are the two things, or not even exercise, physical activity are the two most important things that are missing today. Well, you mentioned that um, $675 billion a year is spent on chronic pain. Is that right? That's, where do you get that figure from? Uh, I can send a study, but it's um, it's an epidemiologic study. I think I would love to um, see that study. I'm not, I'm not suggesting you're wrong. I just, I really yeah, want to yeah. see it. I think that'd be just fascinating for me to, uh, Read through, and then, of course, to make provocative posts with. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'll, sh- I'll, I'll share another one with you. I was talking to um, one of these uh, physical therapy virtual companies who just got valued at $3 billion. Oh, I saw that company. I forget yeah, what they're called, and, but and Orange Logo, some, right? Uh, Hinge Health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Orange Logo. Was and it $3 billion or $300 million? Their valuation was at $3 billion. I don't know what the investment was. Okay. Oh yeah, that, that's what it was. It was a three hundred million dollar investment on a three billion dollar valuation. It's crazy. Yeah, and the mindset behind that was solving the fact that most of healthcare spend—it's either number one or number two. So the people who looked into it, number one or number two amount of healthcare spend is is on MSK pain, musculoskeletal pain. So four to five hundred billion dollars a year. So the opportunity is enormous. For uh, from a financial standpoint, that's the that's the thing. But from my standpoint, that just means there's a lot of people suffering have a lot of problems that's what really drove us to do this and we, we you know that's that's what we're trying to solve well brian how much how much dunning kruger is a place right now because you know I, I remember back in 2017 i hosted a seminar with about 60 crossfit gym owners and coaches and i asked the room how many of you believe people get hurt in crossfit gyms everybody raised their hand i said how many people believe people are getting hurt in your crossfit gym Everybody put their hand down. Both can't be true. Both cannot be true at the same time. And and I want to be clear, that is in no way, shape, or form a shot at CrossFit. People get hurt walking across the street. But um, I believe that that's a problem that I'll, I'll tackle on my own in CrossFit. But what I'm describing in physical therapy is you're, you're objectively – Correct. It's not even an argument. You can't make it. $675 billion more than is spent on, on heart disease is spent on musculoskeletal pain. So there's a problem that we're not actually solving effectively. But I think that if you went down to the ground level and asked physical therapists, are you solving the problem effectively? You would get a unanimous yes. So where is the, where is the chasm there? Who's, who's missing something? So that's a, that's a really great perspective because that was when I was a, a new PT, I worked at um, a company who you know, was very well regarded and respected. And, um, you know, they would give, they would give people, um, questionnaires. Um, I forgot what it was called. I think it was a net promoter score. I think it's like a zero to 10 scale. And then if, if, if uh, on first visit you score well, and then on discharge you score well, uh, everyone would get good scores because if you came in uh, and you stuck around and you would, you know, if you if you if you went through the course of care and you got better, you'd stick around and fill it out. But the people who came in um, would inevitably all the people who dropped off and they left, they never filled out the questionnaire. So you're getting this echo chamber of people saying like, "Hey, I'm getting better." <laughs> um, the face but, um, the Facebook of questionnaires. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, I think I think part of the issue is the KPIs that a lot of PT clinics use is: Are we busy? Are we, you know, are we doing um, seeing a lot of patients? Are, are you know those kinds of things getting better? Or do you feel better when you leave? That kind of thing. But the real outcome is function. Uh, meaning, and I know you, your content, and you understand this completely is. People don't come to PT for pain. They come to PT or, or rehab or whatever it is when that pain stops them from being who they are in their minds, uh, who that, what their identity is, um, their ability to take care of the kids, their ability to be whatever athlete they are, whether it's a life athlete or a weekend warrior or a professional athlete. When that's threatened, that's when they come for help. And a lot of times PTs, they make people feel better in the moment. And for that reason, we think we're successful. But we don't see what happens when they stop coming in. We just assume that they stop coming in because they reached their goals. But, you know, I see a lot of those people say, Oh, I've been to five or six PTs. I've been to five or six doctors and I still can't do the thing that I need to do. And that's the harder thing. And I I think that's why what you're trying to do is important because you're trying to solve uh, more of a function issue, strength issue, mobility issue, something that is a tangible reason why someone can't do what they need to do. Well, I think you touch on a lot of really good points there. And, and one of the, pushbacks I would give without it being pushback is are you Dr. Ryan Chow not capable of taking somebody who comes to you in pain and restoring their ability to function without pain and then restoring their ability to function within their life without pain I imagine that you personally are Some, sometimes yeah I mean like I, I try to be very honest with myself I think I do help a lot of people that a lot of people weren't able to help before but I, I know of all my failures too. I think I fail pretty often. Well, we, I, th- I think that's I think that's very self aware of you. But, but what I'm getting at is, what are the things that you believe a trainer or a coach or whatever somebody wants to identify themselves at professionally until they all call themselves active life professionals, which is coming? Um, <laughs> what 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 do they do that you don't? Like, wh- where is their level of expertise or availability or whatever the case might be? that you don't have where they become a better suited candidate to work with someone than you are? Uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, um, the demands of life, the demands, uh, in training or activities, uh, of higher sport and things like that, uh, uh require an in-depth understanding of, of, uh, what's not contributing from a muscular standpoint, what's not strong enough, what's not, uh, holding its uh, end of the bargain, being able to assess someone's ability to complete the demands of a given task is what's lacking. I think uh, I think most PTs target is is uh, at least under the insurance model, and what most people are allowed to do is is uh, can we get them out of pain enough so that they can walk or use the stairs or things like that. Uh, a trainer can can tell if you know if if. Um, just because they have to deal with higher levels of fitness and activity, you know, they know when someone's issue is a squat technique or it's just for volume. If it's, uh, you know, if they have a, a plyo issue or they just have an overall, you know, a power speed issue or if they have a strength issue. So I don't think PTs are that good at assessing people's demands. I honestly don't think most trainers are good at it either. I think. Well, I don't either. Let's yeah. don't, don't, don't get it confused at all. <laughs> um, so, so, Okay. What, what, what I'm trying to target in on that I, I need to do a better job of guiding you towards is you have both hats. You have the trainer hat. You have the physical therapist hat. You are a high integrity, high ability physical therapist and trainer if you chose to be. If I had a friend, 
family member who lived in Manhattan who had a problem musculoskeletally, I would send them to you without any issue. Where, it, like, physical therapists who are going to listen to this right now are going to be thinking, maybe this guy doesn't think that he can do it. But I know that I can do it. I know that I can take somebody from being in pain to out of pain to back in the gym on a program to lifestyle changes all the way through to them not only regaining what they came for the loss of, but for the opportunities to achieve things that they didn't even think they could do before. Why is that a bad idea? Uh, I think it's, it's covering too much of a spectrum. I think uh, you can't be good at all of that. I think, uh, I think that's tough. I think, uh, I think you can, I, th- I think you can be good at it. I don't know if you can be great at it. Yeah. I mean, look, I tried for a long time. So our model is just to look at, um, you know, everyone is somewhere on the continuum, but then we realize that, um, there's so much baked into what you just said. There's just so much in there that to, to really be an expert at all of that is, is, is tough. You know, we're talking about multidisciplines. We're talking about psychology, motivation, interviewing. We're talking about uh, muscular cells, uh, assessment and diagnosis and, and understanding contraindications. And then we're talking about high-level training, behavior change, activity uh, recommendation and modification and it's just too much. It doesn't make sense for one, one person to do all that. So I think what's better is, is what we're trying to do is, is um, have a team of PTs who help people get to the point where they're ready to train and then have trainers train them. How do you decide where that line is? Uh, it's tough. It's, it's a line that we're still trying to draw, but we, we, we learned a little bit uh, from you is, is the concept of an activity of daily living is the stuff that, you know, you, you need to get – Stuff you need to get done, like uh, carrying stuff or, or uh, taking the stairs or, or sitting in a chair or whatever, easy things like that. And then activities of daily interest of stuff like sports, um, activities that are uh, like running and, and things that are a little higher level. So uh, we like that idea. We like that concept. Um, we try to place try to place a few more KPIs around when someone's ready, but. Uh, uh, those are some of the main ways to differentiate it. I would love it if you would share those KPIs as you come up with them. Cause I think that you guys have such a good team over there and, and you're so intentional. I would love to, I think that I could learn a lot from what you're actually experiencing every single day in your clinic. So if, if you'd be kind enough to share those with me as you come up with them, I would, I would really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can uh, share some off the top of my head. It's big pictures is we realize that that musculoskeletal pain, especially non-traumatic stuff, is is more of a behavior issue, an activity modification issue, than it is a specific motor control, uh, specific part of your body strengthening issue. Meaning, I think if most people are generally more active and most people rested when they should rest and train when they should train and hit the World Health Organization um, activity guidelines of just puffing and puffing five days a week for 30 to 60 minutes and two days a week of resistance training. Uh, the very specific minutia would, would actually kind of fade out because if you're just generally interactive, generally you're going to, your, your whole muscular system is, they're all organs, muscles and bones are, they're all designed to make you move and none of us are moving. And if you get over the little aches and pains when you're first starting and you just keep going, most of the problems will go away. So um, we're looking for people to hit um, certain amounts of activity and not just 
uh, we're trying to remove as many barriers of has to be perfect form of this and that is reducing price, uh, reducing the friction of travel, reducing um, uh, people's fears around doing certain exercises and just get more people moving. Because I think that's where the research is pointing us. Well, you, you say reducing price, but I imagine people are paying for the training, yeah? Out of pocket? Yeah, I mean, initially we're all one-on-one. It's pretty high, high-end uh, cost. Um, but we're trying to introduce... Uh, programming, virtual programming options, large group classes, small group classes, because we realize that those are real life um, barriers. And if we ignore that and we treat it like a business model instead of uh, how can we actually impact people, then you, know, Dude, we're you have the space. Stuck. It's time for you guys to start running the active life class with your patients. You have the space. You have the space. Uh, okay. So is there ever friction for you in the office where um, – a trainer thinks that the client should be theirs. The the PT says the client should be theirs. And there's a little bit of back and forth amongst where this person should be. Yeah. I think, I think not from a bad intentional standpoint, but we all feel like we can help this person and that, you know, we're well-trained and we, we really want to help them. So I think there's a little bit of the, Oh, I think I can take care of it. And I don't want to burden other people if I don't need to, that kind of friction, but not really like, um, no, like, this person needs me more than them or it's us against them. I don't think there's that, um, that kind of friction. But yeah. I think there's a little bit of, I need to be clear about where the lines are so that we can work together better so that we're truly client centered and not, um, trainer or, or doctor centered. It's more, you know, we all need to rally around this person and their needs and then just take a lead out of it. Well, that's one of the things that I think makes your place so viable is your ability to lead. It's, it's, there is a, um, there is a safety there in the, in the scopes where it's, look, we all believe Ryan has everybody here's best intention in mind. And so we're going to trust the decisions that we make following the guidelines that he's put forth. And I think that that's valuable. What, what I would love to be able to, to do is to show more physical therapy clinics, the financial model of how working in collaboration with trainers on site works, because I think that that's one of no matter how much we want to avoid talking about money and healthcare, it's there. I mean, we'll talk in a second about you, you pointed out that health insurance companies made what $133 million a day in the first quarter. Uh, or yeah, during, first yeah, during, during one quarter of uh, this past year, I think the second quarter of the year, they, the top five health insurance companies profited like $50 billion profited. So it was insane. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so with, with all that being said, what, why don't, what is the financial model? Can you just, you don't have to go into your own books, but physical therapists listening to this, I've asked a few and they're like, I just don't see why, I just don't see how we would make money doing that. And I'm like, I don't understand how you don't see how you would make money doing that. And I think that it's a similar problem to what's going on in the gym where they just think nobody would ever pay for that because they've never asked anybody to pay for it and they haven't made it valuable. That's my yeah. thought. I'm interested in yours. No, I, I agree with you. That's why a lot of what you say resonates with us uh, professionalizing the, the trainer a hundred percent agree that um, that's a great way to put it I think there's a lot of people in care but there's not enough I think society undervalues uh, what a trainer can do um, so there's that whole part of it and then from the PT chiropractor side of things is um, we don't make enough money when we're staff people um, it's justified 
kind of the stuff. So we end up in this endless loop where PTs uh, will stick with this business model because that's you know, you know that's what most places who make money are, are giving us. And and then uh, trainers, you know, you have to start your own business. You have to go out to make a decent living. So the idea of improving the quality of life for the trainer and the PT and the chiropractor in order for them to have give a higher quality um, service is one of the main strategies we have and why we care about, um, uh, you know, I think why you and I resonate, uh, what we've, we've talked about resonates, but I think that's part of the first step is the, the whole thing is kind of screwed up and that, you know, people don't get enough to be able to do a good job. But um, look, I think, I think PTs are high value to, to society, but not the way we're currently being used. We're, we're, we're a lot of times we're glorified modality, um, uh, providers and massage people and we give crappy little exercises that don't move the needle and uh, that's kind of why we're, we're treated the way we are now and no one really trusts us because all the times we took everyone's money and said hey this is good for you and they didn't get the result now now we've kind of dug our own grave like yeah we didn't we don't provide any value so of course nobody cares so i'm i'm gonna say something that i think people will um be angry at me for a little bit but that's okay i think that I think that the medical community is going in the way of the police department. And what I mean by that is I think we would have better police if they just had to police and not chase dogs and not, um, you know, give out parking tickets and not give out traffic tickets, even though I know that that's a fine line for, for reasons of who gets arrested, who gets traffic tickets and what they find in the cars and all that kind of stuff. But all that aside, I'm not a police science expert. My belief is just that the scope of the police officer is so large now that we expect them to be great at certain things. And it's really hard because there are so many things that we expect them to be great at physical therapy, chiropractor, medical doctor. It's like we're, we're creating an environment in which it's impossible for them to be extremely valuable and then being angry at them when they're not being extremely valuable because it's, it's, what are you supposed to do? What, like, what does the physical therapist do? And what does the physical therapist say? I don't do that. This person does. Wow. That's, that's a great perspective. I didn't, you know, I realized kind of what you're kind of getting at this whole time and, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to separate my own model in my head, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, um, to, uh, you're right. Like, you're, if you're being asked to do too much, you can't focus on a specific need um, that's at hand. And I realize now that when you say that, I agree with you in terms of, you know, the, the police stuff is a, is a touchy topic. But when I first heard defund the police, I didn't really understand it, and I was like, oh, that's dumb. And then I realized when you know police officers stuff, all this stuff that they shouldn't be doing that we should have a whole separate job for. That analogy is perfect. So I get it. And, and what we, where we are right now is understanding the big picture. Um, the PT needs to convince the person that they need to train. I mean, that's our mm-hmm. whole job. I've, yeah. I've completely shifted the, the job of a physical therapist. A, a, phys, a physical therapist sees a patient who has the nocebo of some sort of structural diagnosis that to them it's like, this is, this is what I have to fix. Um, they have these ideas about uh, whatever false education that they have. Our PTs need to spend less time being really great trainers. They just need to understand what the trainers are going to do with them. But we need to spend more time at being able to change people's behavior, identifying the false information they have, um, identifying uh, why they don't believe that an active lifestyle and, and training is related to their, um, you know, their ultimate outcome, and then re- get really good at convincing them 
that what we're doing will lead to a longer term training, whether it's with us or not, and why that's important, that's all we should focus on. But our PTs are also learning like high level sprinting and Olympic lifting and training. And right now, I guess at this level, it's fine, but you're right, over time, um, we need to have an understanding of that, but that's not sustainable to try to be the best at both camps. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's not. I, I yeah. don't know. I don't know if, do you know anything about the history of the physician assistant? No, I don't. Okay. So do you know what a physician assistant is? Yes, I do. Okay. So for people who are listening who don't, a physician assistant is effectively the person who lives in the white space between a nurse and a doctor. They can do almost all of the things that a doctor can do, but they are not able to do any of them without the oversight of a doctor. Right? That doesn't mean the doctor's in the room. It means the doctor exists in the clinic. Okay? In 1966, physician assistants got their start. And they got their start because men were returning from the Vietnam War with more medical skills than medical school students who were fresh graduates. And the medical demands of our country were starting to become overwhelming to the existing medical community. So physician assistants in 1968 got their first licensure and they started to take a lot of the burden that the medical doctors were facing off the medical doctor's plate, right? So they, were, they had a larger scope than a nurse and a smaller scope than a doctor. They had more education than a nurse in pharmacology and diagnosis and medical, and they had less education than a doctor. And what they were able to do was effectively release the pressure valve for doctors, for nurses, uh, to, to take a lot of the load that neither of those parties could handle because they were overworked. And I believe it was 1968, there were 300 and something PAs. Today, in 2021, there are more physician assistants than there are medical doctors in the United States. Over 500,000. My belief is that we need a position like that between the personal trainer or the, the group fitness instructor and the physical therapist. And it doesn't exist. Athletic trainer, I think, is the closest thing to it. But they're much more of, the, from my perspective, a, um, a, an acute injury specialist who's able to stabilize and triage. And yeah. athletic trainers will be angry at me that I just minimized their scope. But let's be real. That's what you're trained to do. I took your classes. Right? And I think yeah. – and that's why we're trying to build the space in between. We're calling it the active light professional. And our, our statement for it – and I'm interested in your thoughts on it because I've gotten a lot of pushback from physical therapists already. The statement is the active light professional has the education and the experience necessary to expand the scope of the coach – so that their impact fundamentally reshapes healthcare. What are your yeah. thoughts on that as a, an entire career field? I love it. I mean, I think I was living in that space for seven years of my life, knowing I was going to be a PT um, and doing a PT shop as a trainer um, and seeing kind of that, that whole, what you're describing. We definitely need a release valve, meaning, I mean, even PTs aren't doing the job well, but even with current estimates, we're supposed to have a 33% increase in demand up until 20, 
I think 2020. That's um, way, it's going to be way higher than that as people get heavier and heavier and heavier and their knees and backs can't handle it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then on the other end, since there's no barrier to entry to become a trainer, now people are left trying to qualify who's ready to do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just based on, you know, uh, I guess social norms or whatever. They can look at someone and say, hey, I think they're good enough. And it's this whole kind of snake oil salesman game where everyone's trying to make themselves look good, but um, it, to, to be fit for the part. But what you're saying is true. I think if PTs could just uh, focus on one subset and then there's someone that uh, PTs or chiropractors, whoever decides, okay, you understand enough for, for me to tell you this plan and you can go and do it. Um, and then, you know, you can make adjustments on your own, but we have to make wholesale adjustments in the back or, to, you know, work in conjunction. I, I totally buy into that. That's what we're trying to do right now. In well, our own company, the, so. the space I see is that the physical therapist writes the script. This person needs an active life professional. And then that person goes to the active life professional who communicates with the physical therapist and takes it over. Like they understand what they're supposed to do. And there's a mutual respect where the communication is back and forth and they're both trusted to do their job effectively. And I think that there are two angles of it that we need to be coming at. One is, well, three. The number one thing that you said that's so true is there's so much bullshit education in the personal training space. You didn't say that. I said it. You use other words. But like ISSA is one of the largest uh, sanctioning bodies for certifying bodies for, for personal trainers. They just released a glute specialist. Own the space <laughs> to shape the glutes that your clients have always wanted. Create, you know, become an authority, make more money, work with your ideal client, shape butts. Like that is such bullshit. That is so useless. You might as well come out with a certification to better filter Instagram photos for your clients. So yeah. bad. So yeah, bad. I, so, I saw that. It was crazy. I, started, I was dying of laughing. Oh, it's <laughs> so bad. It's like, let's, let's just race to the bottom as fast as we can. Elon Musk, build us a fucking tunnel to the bottom fast. Um, and so we need to, the first prong I believe is education because you hit the nail on the head. What trainer are you supposed to work with? You know, I think I think most of your trainers have have physical therapy degrees and function as trainers. Is that is that correct? Yeah, except for uh, we have two trainers on staff who, um, uh, you know, I've known for many many years, and we, and I had um, firsthand as part of the education process. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I agree one hundred percent. Education is the way to go. We have to we have to get on the same page there. And uh, my mentor is a chiropractor, so. Uh, Craig Levinson, he teaches first principles of movement, and we we don't um, separate trainers and PTs, and everyone's in the same room. Mm-hmm. Chiropractors, MDs, DOs, doesn't matter. Everyone in those fields, we all work together, and that's why I can trust them because I know they understand this big picture situation. I know they understand the things you're talking about, and I know they understand you know, that we have to work together to do it. So that's the only that's the only way I trust the trainer. Otherwise, I have very difficult time. Yeah. We, we, we need, we need to create guidelines that I think make it clear. This is the education. This is what they can do. This is their success criteria. The second thing is we need physical therapy clinics to believe that it's a valuable thing to have a trainer in their place. Who's been educated this way. And the third thing, and I don't know which one's second and which one's third is insurance companies need to recognize it and allow physical therapists and chiropractors to write scripts and reimburse for people getting that kind of care. Because quite frankly, for a large portion of the population, it's cost prohibitive. 
yeah. But yeah. If, yeah. if you want someone to be great at it, you know, you're, that's, you're not talking about eight to 10 physical therapy appointments. You're talking about 25, 30, even 40 or 50 sessions. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's a hundred percent true. I think, um, uh, at FPM and Craig Levinson and I, we went to Korea to, to teach and over there, they're one of the first governments who are going to have reimbursement for group classes. North or South. So, but but we were excited because you know it's kind of the elephant in the room everybody knows that uh if you if you know the evidence is clear if people are active in their training uh, a lot of these problems will go away in front of you can get upstream of uh, not not just the musculoskeletal pain but the non-communicable diseases cardiovascular disease uh, diabetes osteoporosis sarcopenia um Falls in seventy-year-olds are the number one threat to someone's life. Like all these things that could prevent it with, with training, and nobody's reimbursing for it. So we're medicalizing an activity issue. So I love the name Active Life. We're, we're trying to provide a medical solution to a behavior, uh, an activity problem. And I, I mean activity like just move more. Like it doesn't have to be that complicated. But I understand uh, some people who, uh, from the from the MS musculoskeletal pain perspective and function standpoint, yeah, you might want. Being a little more uh, focused, but yeah, uh, the, the second point. What was your second point? I know the third one was was the health insurance thing. The second, second one, one is that we need physical therapists to believe that they need them in the clinic, and that, that, that's oh, a, yeah. that there's a positive financial model for doing it. For like, because yeah. look, we can talk all day long about like it's better for your patients. Yeah, yeah, sure, but it can't cost me seventy grand to not reimburse me. Yeah, yeah. So I totally believe in that too. Because when I looked at the model, I was like, none of this makes sense, and it's all a relic of a vested interest. Like people, it was this way before people who are on top need to keep making money. They were before. So that's why things are stuck this way. But uh, part of the reason why I started my practice is I looked at everything and said, like none of this is focused on healthcare outcomes. All of this is focused on the business model. Mm-hmm. And, and PTs know it too. Our, our reimbursements keep declining and there's something needs to change. The wholesale change needs to happen. So uh, I think it's a clear, um, I think it's clear that what you're saying is true. I don't know how to convince the population of that, but I definitely, I think it's undeniable. I just think we, we all paid so much time and money into it. And now we're in this place where like, I don't have time to try to solve this issue. I just need to pay my bills. So I'm just going to work. It's like the golden hand in, in finance, they call it golden handcuffs. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you make a bunch of money, but unless you stay, you don't get the payout at the end. So you're stuck with the, pretty good situation but you hate your life and you hate yourself it's like it's kind of like pt every pt comes out of school they're just like wow i went through all that i don't get paid anything so now you're kind of stuck in this loophole where it's like i don't have any other time or, or effort to try to solve this issue i'm just going to go along with what i can get and then that's that and everyone gets stuck in that same way well and, that, and that's why i think um I'm especially drawn to you and want to be aligned with people like you because you've managed to create the environment in which you don't have to be the pt all day every day you have great staff doing great work with their patients and you have some, I'm not going to say that you have a, an unlimited amount of time, but you have some time available to be able to trumpet what we're talking about right now, to be able to, you know, in, in the world that I picture, stand in front of Congress and describe, we, have, we are spending more money on musculoskeletal care every single year than we are on heart disease and, and on diabetes and you guys just spent $5 trillion on COVID. And by the way, the 
Mayo Clinic just came out with a study that said the effects of COVID are markedly less detrimental in populations who have a higher uh, aerobic capacity than patients who don't. And it's, 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 they're inversely related and it is yeah. directly correlated. Yeah, I, I know that study. It's the elephant in the room that um, uh, nobody's wanted to say that ever since the Italy studies came out. Like 99% of the time, if you're not obese, diabetic, uh, or have pre-existing cardiovascular disease, uh, you'll be fine. And now there's an inverse direct relationship. Meaning, the more fit you are, the more you exercise, the less it's going to affect you. And then people have sensationalized a few outliers, and now everyone has gone haywire at understanding the reality is um, you have to diversify your risk. Sure, don't spread it, but like if you want me to sit in the cave for ten months and then act like there's nothing I can do but hide, and then I slip up once, and then it's going to get me because I, I didn't spend that time being active. You're not really, that's not a great strategy for reducing risk of this thing. Plus on top of that, if you really think about, um, you know, the, the higher, the less cardiovascular disease, obesity and, and diabetes you have, all, none of those are actual diagnoses of, of zero one binary. You have a virus and you don't, it's just a line that we drew that says you're too much. You have too much, uh, 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 uh fat in your body. You have, uh, your heart rate and blood pressure numbers are not uh, at a place where the risk is high. You don't have anything. We're just describing that your physiology is bad. We're and describing your symptoms. Physiology is bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Your, your physiology is bad, so your immune system is bad. And if your immune system isn't as good, then the viral load will, will, will grow in your body. I'm not, I'm not an expert in this, but I think it's it's kind of the elephant in the room is is that you're kind of being a liability by just not doing anything from a physical standpoint well, well, when we know it's important. The elephant in the room is that magazines like Cosmo can put covers out that say this is healthy and put people on it who objectively are not physically healthy. And, and then we're not allowed to talk about why that's a problem because then you're fat shaming somebody. Right. And, and I don't need you to step on that bomb with me. I'm happy to step on it by myself. But, you know, that is a fucking problem. We... we we can't get from where we are to where we want to go if we refuse to accept and acknowledge where we're at. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, so, it's, sorry, go on. No, no, it's, it's like the relic of like the 80s bodybuilding culture where people think about, this is one of the, one of the number one things I have to do on a daily basis. When, we, when I talk about these exercises to help someone get out of pain and related to their health, there's all these uh, ideas about how it relates to uh, body fat and, and muscle building that had no, I did not bring it up at all. They're talking about these ideas and they can't disassociate the concept of exercising from these things. So now they're lumping together health with, with what you're talking about is aesthetics and you can do something for your health and, and, uh, and we can just, it doesn't have to relate to, to that, right? Right. Well, and it's, you know, the, the, the counter argument I've gotten to that is if that's not healthy, what does healthy look like? And I'm like, it doesn't have a look. Healthy doesn't have a look. Unhealthy does. Yes. That's, that's, yeah. I'm sorry, but it's true. If, if, <laughs> if you're like adipose tissue is the organ of inflammation. Yes. So let's not, let's not minimize it and let's do something about it. Can you imagine if the U S government said we have an issue with obesity, with inactivity and with lack of education around physical activity and personal awareness? So we're going to spend $5 trillion to fix it. That'd be amazing. 
it would be amazing, wouldn't it? It might actually yeah. make a dent and we wouldn't have to deal with the same problem again in two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten years. Yeah, I want to actually that reminds me, I want to ask about your functional markers of, of how you're measuring um, if someone's kind of on the right track when it comes to that stuff. Because we always think about, you know, a uh, 60-year-old needs to uh, be able to balance on one foot and uh, a 90-year-old needs to be able to get out of the chair, otherwise they end up in a mm-hmm. um, nursing home. Just things like, uh, you know, people who are 40 years old or are training way too hard, they have the body of a 60 year old because everything's breaking down, but a 60 year old who's inactive, um, they have the body of a 90 year old because they're so inactive. Uh, but if you, if you train, they actually have the body of a 40 year old. And so these biomarkers that Harvard is looking into this idea of healthy aging and biological age instead of uh, biological age, there's clear markers for this. So I was curious as through research, I want to explore those and tell that to people. I'm curious what your markers are. Well, I don't, we don't have specific markers because it's not where we we're experts. I haven't done cohort studies. We haven't done the meta-analyses of what, of what is proving to be beneficial for longevity. And part of the problem with those kinds of studies, and I'm not, I'm happy people are doing them is you don't have a lot of people who are like, yeah, I'll, I'll volunteer to be in the side that you think is going to die faster. I'm in for that. Right. So, um, including humans in studies is a really difficult spot as it pertains to the ethics around it. And, and so because of that, we get a lot of, um, we get a lot of data that we have to draw conclusions from without the conclusions being able to be drawn directly from the data, especially as it pertains to behavior. My Hmm. thought though is in the, is in the department of where you are. Let's stop looking at blood work as the only thing that we look at. People don't end up in the nursing home usually because they have bad blood work. They end up in the nursing home because they lose the ability to function. And then they end up with bad blood work because they're in the nursing home. And, and if we go backwards, you mentioned the 40 year old who has the body of a 60 year old. I think that the danger is oftentimes that 40 year olds can look like a 25 year old and have the body of a 60 year old beneath the skin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, know, it's, 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 What, what is important? You know, one of the things that I've been um, meaning to prioritize in our Active for Life program that we, that we sell to the general public is I want everybody who's on that program spending two minutes every day that they do a workout with us laying down on the ground and getting up. That is part of their warm-up. Just lay down and get up. If you can do it without hands, great. If you need to use your hands, great. Use your hands until you don't need to. But... What is more functional than being able to stand up from a, a prone or a supine position? And what is more dysfunctional than needing assistance to do so? Yeah. Right? So I love that. Im- imagine if we all practice that every day of our lives. The, like the, the moment that you have a day where you're like, oh, wow, I can't do this. You understand that there's a problem. It's not only a part of the solution, but it's also a screen. Right. Right. So, I mean, it, it's a habit that I've developed for myself. I'm, I, I spend two minutes every day, get on the ground, get up. However you need awesome. to. My yeah, thought is, just, like, right? Like yeah, if, if a day comes that. and I'm like, I can't get up, I'm calling you. I'm like, what yeah. do I do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, because the medical models will, will give you, they'll call that a, a, uh, you know, an arthritic knee because the reason I can't get up, you can't push up that foot because the knee hurts every time you get, so you avoid it because you avoid it, then it gets worse and it's a downward spiral. And then all of a sudden something that was a medical issue is really a functional issue and mm-hmm. it should have been addressed in a functional manner. So I totally get that. I totally, I mean, what you're, you know, what you said is very 
uh, important to me is is yeah, we look at all these things as medical issues. And, you know, I don't know. It's um, it reminds me of just how we're so off topic uh, when we look at medical problems. That that's why our whole time we're, we're working with people, we're just thinking about what's the real issue here. Because people come in and tell me they have a rotator cuff tear, and you know that's not really the issue. They they have a, they can't move their arm, and that's that's the real issue. So I agree with you. I mean, you know you know the fireman study. No. There's a fireman study that um, talks about someone's ability to do more than 40 push-ups is a greater predictor of any sort of cardiac event, risk of life, anything, and any sort of cardiac test to any cardiologist of any amount of can do. Now, I wonder if that ends up skewed for age. Uh, maybe. I, I remember the details. Uh, it's it it not a perfect study. It, There's no such thing. But, but what I'm getting yeah. at is... is um, you know, are they comparing a 40-year-old who can do 40 push-ups to a 60-year-old who can't? Or are they comparing a 40-year-old to a 40-year-old? And then if they're doing that, um, are they comparing 60-year-olds to 60-year-olds? And how many 60-year-olds can do 40 push-ups? And what are the other factors that lead to somebody being able to do 40 push-ups? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I get what you're saying. Um, no, it was, they, they just looked at a group of firemen, like a large group of firemen. And they said at a certain point, they just measured whether these people can do these things. And all the people who could do 40 push-ups ended up living uh, without all these issues. And people who did do 12, they all ended up having those problems, despite what any blood pressure, heart rate, or any test there was told them. That's crazy. So, so it's a retroactive. Uh, they just kind of okay. look at a, a car. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I find it interesting. We have we have a professional fire department here in our town. And, and to be frank, we have it because they have a good union. We're the last paid fire department in all of Long Island. And if you go into the firehouse, you're looking at mostly unhealthy people. And my thought was, why not create public pressure and say, hey, we want to have a fitness test for our fire department. We know your union's not for it, but we're concerned that, A, you're not going to be able to save somebody, and B, you're putting yourself at risk. And we have a fitness program that we're going to put in place should you not be able to pass the fitness test. And the fitness test can be extremely practical, like climb the stairs in a given number, in a given amount of time, you know, and, and have an appropriate heart rate recovery when you do it. Like it could be that simple. It doesn't need to be, but you follow me. But there's so much like, no union, this union, that, and you know, also you're calling people out of shape. I'm like, yeah, cause they fucking are. And they're putting themselves and other people at risk. And, 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 we, and, we, and we spend millions of dollars a year to keep them employed because they have a good union and we're afraid of them politically. Like, what is going on? Yeah, it's nonsense. That's, that reminds me of uh, falls in the hospitals. There's studies that show that when older people go to hospitals, uh, it's a known thing. Like, you can't have these people fall. So then they keep them in the bed so they can't move. So there's no risk of falling. But when they come out, their risk of falling is like through the roof because <laughs> they force them to stay in a bed the whole time. So it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's interesting. It's always kind of it feels like we're always choosing the lesser of two evils, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we're just totally missing the mark. On this. I think so too, but I think that the I think that the reason why we miss the mark so often is because we live in a marketing economy. We don't live in the value economy the way that we would all like to. Yes, there are outliers who provide great value, and and therefore their business grows. And we teach people to be those outliers, but it's really difficult to have great value without great marketing and grow your business. So what happens is you see these physical therapy mills with 200, 300, 400 locations 
who get into relationships with hospitals, who have the relationships, of course, with the orthopedists. And so it's, they're never really leaving that immediate cycle of monetization of the patient care. Right, so, so we're not looking at this from a, the system is broken because the people with the most influence are making the most money and they don't think the system is broken because it's working for them. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. But you know what, COVID, you know, for all the bad things that, that came out of it, uh, a lot of these mills who provided very low value, when people's lives were on the line, they're like, yeah, I'm not going in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, then, and I think if people are forced to reframe things. You know, what you've done from a virtual standpoint was, you know, a lot of people thought, oh, it makes sense, but no one wanted to take the dive in there. You were a first mover on that a lot. And now, you know, 50% of our business is virtual. And people didn't think that our value was an education and exercise. Um, and now they, they were forced to see it. And now, you know, we have a growing platform to help people with that. So, you know. Yeah, I think, um, I, think the, I think the future looks a lot like your clinic, Ryan. Mm. And, and I hope I'm right. I appreciate that. And I hope uh, that you're able to get, you know, the way you've defined that new active life professional, I think, I think I need it. I mean, I think, you know, even if every single physical therapist or chiropractor or trainer knew, um, or even, I should say physical therapist knew how to do a lot of the stuff that we're not doing, um, meaning, you know, learn how to better deliver education and exercise, we still wouldn't have enough, even if every single one changed. And you're right, we need the release valve. The analogy of the physician's assistant makes total sense to me because you need someone to be the hands. And where the PT failed right now is we, in our practices, we assign a, an aide to do the job. And you expect someone who's getting paid minimum wage with no education to do a job that's actually pretty involved and, and need a lot of education for it. So, you know, once we start making that a priority. And then once people start seeing the results of that, I think um, a lot of, you know, what you were talking about uh, will start to make sense. I think the value part of, of uh, PT will start to increase. And then that's my hope, man. I mean, I, I think, I think that the biggest obstacle is that we're looking at an opportunity cost. That's not tangible, you know, because, because when people go into mills, people do get better because anything is better than nothing. And so, so the, the need for them to improve isn't financially driven because their, their businesses are full because patients go straight from ortho to them. Um, it's going to be a battle, man, but I'm down for it. Yeah, yeah no, I love it. I, I love what you're doing. I'm glad you're doing it. Um, in a lot of ways, it makes, uh, yeah, it just validates a lot of what, what we're trying to do too. And, you know, I, I just hope that people look at the big, scoreboard and say not say like hey just because people are coming to the clinic that means, that means we're doing a job so what are our actual outcomes mm-hmm. so hopefully that'll start to change people's minds and hopefully there'll be people like you and others who are willing to go against the grain to make that a reality and you know to be honest it's not easy but i think it produces with the squeeze i mean Nothing. Our guys make a decent amount of money if that means anything. Yeah, man. We, we, look, we, next time we'll do a vlog. We'll peel open your books. We'll show everybody. Um, I, I appreciate you. You're fighting the fight on the ground. Ryan, where can people find you? Um, ReloadPT.com for our websites and information. Social media will be uh, Dr. Ryan Chow with a, a, dot, a period between DR and Ryan Chow. 
uh, and then reload.pt would be our, our group's name. Outstanding. All right, guys, you heard it here, Tongue Pro. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Active Life Podcast. If you did, please be sure to head to wherever you listened to it and give us a quality review, as well as five stars if you can spare them. If you want more from us, feel free to follow all of our social media accounts at Active Life Professional, Active Life Rx, and Dr. Sean Pastuch on Instagram. Remember, at Active Life, we believe that the healthcare clinic of the future is the gym and the healthcare provider of the future is the coach. We also believe that that future is now. Time